Hey everyone, I'm Eileen Cha and welcome to On Your Mind for another episode. Um, if you guys couldn't tell, I had to skip last week's episode um, because I was trying really hard to get the guests that I have for today's episode and the scheduling thing didn't work out and I didn't want to push out a random episode of me just talking, so I had to skip last week. But this week we are back and we have a very special guest. Her name is Sloane Westerman. She is a mental health therapist at our school, but also a family and marriage therapist for the Friends of Youth Foundation in North Bend. So we have like an actual, you know, professional for our episode today. So that's really exciting. Um, We talked about obviously mental health, but also like specifically high school students' mental health. So if you're a high school student, then this episode is going to be very informative and interesting for you guys, but also can be informative and interesting interesting for everyone else um, who is not a high school student. But yeah, other than that, I had a lot of fun talking with Miss Westerman. I learned so much and I'm sure you guys will too. So get comfortable and let's get right into it. Thank you, Ms. Westerman, so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, one of my main goals for this podcast was to like get a professionally trained mental health therapist. So thank you. Um, so first of all, can you talk about like what exactly your job requires you to do as a mental health therapist? Yeah. So first I would start as my license is in marriage and family therapy. And so there is like three main Um, Well, actually, there's five main kind of counseling and psychology degrees, but three are really based in talk therapy. So there's social workers, which at Mount Si, Miss Healy is a social worker. Then there's licensed married and family therapist, which is what I am. Um, I'm trained in more, more systemics. So looking at your family system, looking at your school system. I have a certification in medical family therapy and used to work in cancer. So the medical system and how these different systems affect you. And then there's a licensed mental health counselor who also looks at systems, but also focuses on the individual and how they're experiencing the world. Um, So my role is to work with individuals, couples, families, and kind of around whatever is going on in their life and help. Um, I don't give advice. I just kind of lead them in a direction um, and be curious and open and, and respectful Um, around kind of what's going on in their world on how to make better choices, but also to process past, current, and future experiences. Nice. Okay, so what does your, like, daily, you know, normal work day look like? Yeah, so I have a unique position because I'm actually at the high school um, full-time, which is not kind of the case for most therapists. Most therapists function um, either in an agency or a private practice setting. And so if you're in one of those settings, you see clients or couples or families for an hour session um, throughout the week. For me, since I'm in the high school full time, I meet with kids every half an hour um, within their within the school day at the school. Okay, so obviously, you know, the school is in lockdown and everything. So how has, you know, quarantine changed your services? I'm sure you still have sessions and everything. So like. How does that work and what does it look like? 
Yeah, so at the high school, um, your school counselors, your admin, um, the social worker, um, your resource officer, all of these individuals give me different names of people that um, could benefit from receiving services. And so in the school, I'll call them out and we'll meet in my office at the high school. But online, um, on, during quarantine world, everything is now virtual. So I can still get names, I can still interact with kids, but now it's done through a platform called DoxyMe. And it's a HIPAA compliant, so a confidential um, online platform to still meet with kids, kind of like this in a Zoom meeting, um, but through the therapy world. So I still meet with tons of clients throughout the day in quarantine, and even it's increased in different ways um, to still support just virtually, also now also with phone calls versus in person. Nice. And thankfully, we have the technology to do all of this. So that's one good thing we get out of this. Um, yeah. Okay. So since you work, uh, for my, you know, high school full time, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, high school students, mental health, because, you know, a lot of the, my listeners, um, are my high school peers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you think, or what are the most common mental health disorders for, or that affect adolescents, you know, young teens, high schoolers, et cetera? Yeah, so I would say the rate that all of y'all are experiencing anxiety and stress um, is higher than even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, there's a lot more pressures on you guys um, with social media, with connectivity, um, just with our world. And so that anxious, that pressure is coming in pretty strong. Um, also, depression is pretty big. Um, that you know, just it, depression is more than just sadness and stuff. It's like this heavy weight um, and just kind of not knowing how to deal with all the emotions that come. Some therapists would describe anxiety and depression as two sides of the same coin, kind of which way do you lean depending on how things are going. Um, and then also I would add trauma. Um, I wish as a therapist, I could just say that everyone is experiencing um, a traumatic response, but obviously the DSM-5 leads us to have to classify certain people in different diagnoses. Um, but trauma, so PTSD or adjustment disorders um, are pretty big. Um, but yeah, so anxiety, I would say, is the biggest one right now, but then closely followed by depression and trauma. Yeah, I like I actually wrote it down. I thought that I like guessed I was like stress, anxiety and depression, I would think are the most common, you know, because like you said, the whole era that we live in with social media and everything, um, you know, our phones can be super toxic. And this is just me speaking from like from a high school student point of view. Right. And it doesn't just it's not like just high school students are affected by this, obviously, because I think social media is like and the Internet is all about self-image. Right. It's about how many likes you get or how many followers you have. And then that like snowballs into negativity and more, you know, like, um, you know, less uh, self lacking self-confidence, you know. Sure. So would you agree that I know you little you touched on it a little bit, but how much do you think social media and all of this, you know, technology that we have, how much do you think it impacts our mental health? It I would say it impacts it a lot. So I want to be careful to say I wouldn't it's not all bad, right? Like right, right think, yeah, totally. Like, right. In the fact that you and I can meet like this, it's yes, of course. a beautiful part of it, but the poor part of it is what you talked about with like the likes and the 
instantness of it. And I, what I would just kind of say is comparison. I think for high school students, comparison has always been a huge factor of just seeing how I describe comparison is kind of different, but in the sense of I'm comparing my insides, how I feel about myself, how I think about myself, kind of all of the intricacies of my own anxiety, my own experiences, and I'm comparing that to someone else's outsides, what they're presenting to the world. Um, and we do this in person, right? We're like, oh, if they have this where I don't, or they're so confident and I'm not, right? And so those comparisons aren't equal. Those are apples and oranges. And social media only makes that gap of um, difference bigger. So when we look at someone, they're posting their best life, they're posting their best selves. Yeah. And that experience of we're like, okay, I'm sitting on the couch watching my third episode of XYZ show <laughs> and they're out hiking Mount Sai. Right. Like, oh, my gosh. And so we start to get down on ourselves. But realizing that that individual, whether they're sitting on a couch or they're out experiencing the world, still has the internal battle going on inside them. But what we're comparing is that they're what they're presenting to the world versus what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so social media just kind of enhances that gap between what is going on inside you and what is being presented to you. Yeah. So that's would, kind of the biggest thing. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And the whole, you know, there's also the positive sides, you know, we're allowed to share resources and educate ourselves. But yeah, the poor part sometimes gets a little too consuming. Um, I, again, did some research and I read that 50% of all lifetime cases of mental illness begin by age 14 and 75% by age 21. And that's according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I also read that one in five students living in the U.S. shows signs and symptoms of a mental illness each year. So these numbers are pretty salient and alarming, I would say. Um, and again, I think it's super important for high schoolers like my peers to be educated on mental health and have these discussions that we're having like right now yeah. um, during our secondary schooling years, which I'll get into a little bit later. But um, what are high schools? So this is like including you, obviously. Um, what are you guys doing to reach out and make sure that students are okay? Like, does someone have to be self-aware and realize that they need help and then go to you? Or do you guys have any, like, specific programs that can identify those students who might need help or what's going on? Yeah, no, those are great questions. Um, so one of the things that it starts now, just because right now you we're all trying to figure out how to deal with this kind of crazy eclectic chaotic world and so we either learn good or poor coping skills and so if we are learning maybe poor coping skills that manifest in grades or in substance use or in research not having access to certain resources um just trying really hard having a lot of anxiety a lot of panic attacks and stuff and so i'd say the school does a decent job at you know, identifying that through different kind of platforms. So I think your school counselor is great. At when they interact with you, they may be like, hey, um, I see that you're, you have a low affect, what's going on? And they'll kind of triage who needs to be sent to me or to a social worker or whoever, whatever the resource is. And so I think that your teachers are really great. I get lots of referrals from the teacher to the school counselor to you because your teachers interact with you all the time and they'll say, hey, Jimmy, it just has a low affect. Like, I don't know what's going on. I've tried to talk and they just won't talk. And so then that will go through the channels. I'd also say at Mount Sai, we're really lucky to have a social worker 
um, who identifies just um, resource insecurities. So maybe not having access to food, not having access to proper shelter, not having these accesses that we would hope kids have. And that kind of are the preventative measure to having more extreme mental health um, experiences. And so Miss um, Healy, who's our social worker, she can identify like, oh, this person is on free and reduced lunches and may need more supports than just that. Or this person is um, someone who is experiencing homelessness and because of McKinney Vinto needs that. We also have Jordan Savage, who's awesome. And she identifies kids that have um, like at least two Fs. And so maybe it's manifesting in not doing well in grades. And, and she t checks in with kids to say, what's going on? Um, and how can we support you? And so all of these different people, like, yeah, they're teachers and counselors and support staff. Also admin are really good at that. And um, her principals check in, they see they're, you know, they're in the lunchroom, they're supervised, but they also see how kids are interacting and they're like, wow, that happened. And then they can, you know, have that conversation with the student and say, hey, would you benefit from speaking to Sloan or would you benefit from speaking to your counselor? Um, but I think all of the adults in the world are hopefully are kind of seeing you guys every day and say like, oh, that day was off, like what's going on? Um, but also what you said is there are students that are very self-aware and they're like, I'm panicking, I don't know what to do with this. And they walk down to my office or walk down to Miss Healy's or to Jordan's or to your school counselors and say, I need help. Um, also parents do too. But right. kind of it is that like self, but also hopefully all the adults in the building are also kind of tracking the people that they know too. Yeah, that's really comforting to hear that we have all of those, you know, adults around us. Um, and our social workers, like you said, like, they have a huge impact. Like, some students may not realize this, that we have a social worker, maybe. So hopefully, this will get more people to know about it and reach out if they do need help. Um, so yeah, I'm really grateful that we have all these adults looking out for us. But I also think that, you know, education is really important. And I think education is pertinent for or like relevant for any situation, I think. Um, so because like if my my peers or pe like students knew more about, you know, what the symptoms or signs or signals were of a mental health uh, disorder or something like that, um, then we could personally like student to student reach out and like ask them if they're OK, because I know that can go a long ways, you know. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I wanted to ask you what like are those symptoms um how can you tell if someone is struggling um and if someone is struggling like say my friend uh was you know acting a little weird you know and like not as you know happy as she used to be or something this is just hypothetical <laughs> not like doing anything but um what can i do to help yeah yeah i that's a great point um your friends know you better than most people and interact with you hopefully more yeah and so i think that is the first line of defense is to say you know notice and really ask the question of how are you doing what's going on with you what's going on in your world um that friend may not be in a place to say like hey i'm struggling for this reason um again that's the facades that we put on the masks that we put on as we present to that outside world so I've had students walk down. I do presentations in your um, AP psych classes and psych classes um, with Mr. Vieira. And yeah. sometimes people in his classes uh, will come after the presentation and be like, hey, I'm worried about my friend. Can you just check in? And checking in with me, you're not in trouble, right? I'll just say simply, what's going on? Someone's worried about you. Why do you think they're worried about you? 
Um, and then you as an individual get to decide, do you even want to meet with me or not? But I think that friend, you say like, hey, something seems off or you seem down, like is everything okay? Sometimes that just check-in is like, wow, someone really cares about me. I'm not just floating around in this crazy world called life. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so the affect, right? Like, so, so much of language is not words, right? So 90% of our language is not words. So do they have a certain posture? Are, are there, is their voice different? Is their tone different? Are they kind of like disengaged or just kind of aloof? Like what's going on? Like, so I would pay attention to the switches in kind of mannerisms. Um, also just like the words, like the keywords of like, I'm really tired. How many times have we used I'm tired yeah. and something's really going on? <laughs> Too or I'm yeah, or I'm fine. There's yeah. a joke that fine means frightened, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? How many times have I said like, oh, I'm fine and really I'm struggling? Yeah. Um, just the follow-up of like, are you sure? Right? <laughs> can go a long way um, to just say like, I see you, right? I see you in this experience. Um, but kind of watching body language, watching tone of voice, watching affect, um, asking. You know, there's that myth of, well, if I ask someone if they have this experience with like suicidal ideation, that means that they will become suicidal. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, that's a myth, right? By asking, it gives them permission to say what's going on. Um, so it's that, but also knowing as a friend, like you can't do it for them. And so they have to be in a place to say like, yeah, I need support. Um, but I would say, yeah, listening to their word, not just their words, but their kind of all the other pieces of language, looking at their affect, um, paying attention to those switches, paying attention to when they're just like disengaged and withdrawing or really anxious, um, pacing, kind of all those different body language things that tell us like, I think something is going on. Yeah. And, and just simply ask. And if you're worried, I would rather you hurt a friendship through kindness and worry yeah and keep a friendship and not get someone help true <laughs> word <laughs> drop the mic yes. um so what 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 happens if you know my friend or a friend like we ask them like are you okay and they're like I'm fine I'm fine totally fine but you can tell that they're not okay and they're not opening up what would be the best way to get them some help? Would it be going to you or just what, what can you do if they're just like not opening up to you? Because yeah. I know a lot of people just, you know, shut off completely. So again, like we talked about all of those trusted adults, my yeah. hope and my prayer is that in your high school career, you have identified at least one or two healthy adult role models so I would say start there. If you feel comfortable to go to Mr. Vieira or you feel comfortable to go to Mr. Belcher or you feel comfortable with your uh, Miss Raff, your school counselor, right? Like that person identified in your life, say like, hey, I'm really worried about this person. Use your kind of your experience with that person as the rapport to help your other friend. So go to that trusted adult that hopefully you have in high school, whether it's a coach, a teacher, an admin, whatever, um, and say, like, I'm worried. What are kind of my next steps? And then hopefully that teacher, coach, whoever will intervene and say, okay, great. Hopefully then they will get passed on to your school counselor. The school counselor is a great first line. And then if, they, if the school counselor feels like, oh, they need more support, then they can get given to me. Um, Obviously, you can always come straight to me, but those are kind of the channels. I would say use the people that you already have in your world and already have rapport with 
to create a bigger rapport with your friend. Yeah, that's a great, you know, resource to have. Uh, But then, like, we're in quarantine, right? And we're all isolated. We are all alone. Like, there's, you know, maybe we have our parents, right, and siblings, but it's just not the same without going to school. And I think this whole quarantine thing is making, this is why I, you know, started my podcast. Like, with quarantine, I was looking around and I could see these posts from, like, celebrities or, you know, who knows, Mm -hmm. but about how mental health was super important and how May was Mental Health Awareness Month. So I got to see that and everything. And, you know, the whole isolation, right? We're all alone. There's no, you know, all those people like at our school, we don't really have them anymore, right? Yeah. Um, So, you know, how does isolation affect your mental health and what can you do to deal with that? Because like you said, we don't have those people anymore besides, you know, like your parents, but it might be different. Yeah, absolutely. It looks way different right now and in this season. Yeah, we're not meant to be isolated. We're really meant for connection. We're meant for intimacy. We're meant for that. So anything you can do to continue that, I would say is A number one, right? Like your grades are important. Your academics are absolutely important. But those social supports are so important. So I would hope that we're still all interacting in some way. Um, It's been really hard on everyone, right? Like I'm a professional in mental health, if you want to call me that, right? And (laughs) I've studied this for many, many years and I worked with so many clients and even I've struggled with being home and with my people and how that works, right? All of us are struggling. So I would say to admit to ourselves that this isn't easy. (laughs) This is really hard and you're not the only one going through it. So many times mental health, you feel like you're the only one. And so when you reach out and you say, hey, I'm struggling, that vulnerability spawns vulnerability. And so, you know, I'm struggling. And then I say that to my friend and they're like, yeah, this is rough. Like, let's have a hangout virtual or go on a walk and get exercise or whatever it is. Um, But yeah, we, it's a struggle to, because we're not seeing those healthy adult role models. We're not interacting with our peers in the same way. And so it's harder to kind of get that support. And so it does become kind of self-driven to say like, hey, I'm going to reach out to this person or whatever. Um, but I think that social supports are the baseline of how we get through this, right? Like you yeah. should, your generation is so cute because you guys are always, I think this, it, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but like y'all don't call each other, but you FaceTime each other, right? Oh, yeah, and that totally. is so <laughs> important because you're, it's like, that's grounding, right? You see someone else, you're not just talking at a screen. And so that aspect of simply FaceTiming um, each other you guys stay really connected, which again, give and take double-edged sword, but um, reach out to your friends, reach out to your family, all of that. And teachers are still here. So teachers are still emailing me, still emailing their school counselors and saying like, again, hey, Jimmy, he's not in classes. I'm worried about him. Can you check on him? You know, I see, I've seen over a hundred kids in this last school year because of mental health concerns and some of them during quarantine haven't reached out to me. So I'll reach out to the school counselor and say, hey, I'm worried. Jimmy's not connecting. Like, can you reach out? Right. And so they'll reach out. And so our hope is that no one's falling through the cracks, but we're not meant to be in isolation. We are meant for connection. And yeah. that is just so hard. I can feel that. <laughs> I can. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, with the whole FaceTime thing, now we can do group FaceTimes and Zoom. Yeah. So it's even better because it's more people, you know. And, like, I felt that 
like that hit me really deep because I totally relate to that in my quarantine, you know, because in quarantine, you're just alone and with your thoughts, right? It's just you and like your thoughts can consume you. And I have like online classes, like you said, my homework, I'm starting my, you know, college application process and all of these stressful factors that are the only factors in my life right now because I have nothing else. And then I have nothing to distract myself with because pre-quarantine, you know, I could go hang out with my friends, you know, go on a drive, you know, blast music in the car and just, you know, chill for a second. But now that we don't have that anymore, it gets really difficult. So I think the whole, you know, the internet connecting thing, double-edged sword, like you said, it's a great thing to have because the whole FaceTime thing, like me and my friends have been group FaceTiming just spontaneously. I'll just call them up if I have something to say and then it'll last for like three hours. So that's totally great. And I would add to that, right, like you mentioned this and I would just reiterate, like you're so right in this fact of it pre-quarantine, right, before all of this, we had kind of figured out a flow, maybe a rhythm to life of like, how do we distract ourselves? How do we kind of get through all of our stress? And so the other factor of this is like, we're not seeing the people we love, but also those kind of tools that we used to use to cope with life aren't as available to us. So whether it was going to the gym or playing on a sports team or, you know, whatever, we, we don't have those same um, kind of coping skills ingrained in us in the same way. So we've had to find new flow, new rhythm of life. Um, You know, you see all the memes about like baking bread or (laughs) whatever it is, but there is this, we're all trying to find this new flow and figure it out. And we've had to be so flexible and so resilient And I've been so impressed with all my clients of like figuring out that new flow. But what you said about not having those same distractions, we get into our head. And so those thoughts that maybe used to come, but quickly dissipate because we were like, oh, let me go say hi to a friend are sticking around and we're starting to ruminate on them. Or we're starting to, those almost become truths and ingrained and create like those deep grooves in our brain. And so we have to use, I mean, long-term most effective coping skills is called thought challenging. We have to challenge those thoughts and use good, healthy coping skills to say, hey, I don't have those same tools that I used to have. And so now I need to kind of spend some more time with myself um, in challenging those thoughts that come and that I don't have the same distraction from. Yeah. Um, quarantine has shined this like big old light bulb on our lives, right? Like we used to be able to hide things in nooks and crannies and <laughs> in the different corners of the world, um, in our world, but, um, we don't have those same nook and crannies and same kind of corners. Um, this coronavirus is this big old light bulb. That's like, Oh, everything is illuminated now. Good luck. Yeah. That's (laughs) a great metaphor. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of what's happening is like, we're trying to figure out (laughs) those kind of nooks and crannies stuff. Yeah. I totally agree because, you know, even though we don't have that in-person things anymore, I totally like 100% appreciated everything more in my life, you know, just like I baked a mean lemon bread the other day and I was so happy because I did something for like an hour besides stressing about, you know, school and everything. So I would totally agree with that. And, you know, the resources part, right? So we don't have the in-person, but we can, you know, still distract ourselves. But going back to like, the self-awareness thing Mm -hmm. would you I know there's some like mental health screening tests out there do you think it would be beneficial if students uh took those tests at school like do you think that could be a possibility maybe or is that too like 
forcing it maybe on some people or it could be you know optional yeah that's a good question so and this is a sloan views to take with a grain of salt right yeah. like i'm not the speaker of all therapists yeah. anyway. um so this is my view but I don't, I think information, like you said, in the very beginning of this is key and we should learn as much as we can about ourselves. Um, I would worry a baby bit about, yes, forcing everybody to, because I think why therapy is so effective and efficient um, and healthy is that you have a dialogue with someone. And so even when I, you know, part of my job is I have to give people diagnoses for insurance to pay for their session. And when I give someone a diagnosis, um, I always say, this is an experience towards something. I'm not going to say, hi, you're Sloan, you're depression, right? <laughs> because that is so labeling and you are so many more things than just your depression. Like I'm also all these other things. So I would want it to be in a space that there could be a dialogue. So like, hey, you have an experience towards anxiety or when things happen in your life, you're more likely to go to depressed mood or all of these things happen. So I would want if we were to do something like that is to there to be a follow up, like kind of consultation to talk about what that means, because anxiety is actually I don't know if you know this, like anxiety can be a superpower. And like if you can harness your anxiety, people who run anxious are actually more successful because there's a part of anxiety that keeps you accountable and keeps you going and keeps you driven. And so that anxiety is really actually healthy and it can be really this driving force towards success. The problem is when it gets too big and then you get stuck, right? Yeah. So even teaching clients like, okay, you have this tendency towards anxiety, but guess what? That's your superpower. That feels more affirming and very life-giving than you're anxious and that's synonymous with your name. Yeah. That is not healthy, right? So I think if people want to take it, absolutely 100% followed up by a conversation. Yeah, I've never looked at the superpower point of view. That's really interesting. Um, so with that whole conversation thing, would that be like a one-on-one -on -one with you or would it be like a group of people, like a support group or what would that look like? Or what would be the best way to do or to have those conversations and make sure people are comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's an interesting question because there's no one fit right. for everybody. Like I think that some kids, like I think about um, individuals who have an experience with drug use or substance use in general, like they really benefit from group therapy because it normalizes that they're not the only one going through this and they can bounce ideas off of people that are going through it at the same time. Um, so group therapy is really healthy in that way. Um, individual therapy, some people feel more connected to the clinician to say like, hey, one-on-one, -on -one, I'm not ready to tell multiple people this, but I feel safe in this relationship to have this conversation. Um, but I know that just education, so I think it could be threefold of like, yes, first just let me go into more psychology classes or health classes or whatever and say like, hey, this is what's up. Um, but then also group therapy, if people are comfortable with that or individual therapy with that. So like one off consultations, but I don't know based on a kid, like they may just want to be like an anonymous member in a classroom and be like, oh, I'm going to take in what I am learning versus the friend may be like, I want to talk about my specific experience. So I'm not going to answer your question because I don't know. <laughs> no, that makes sense. It depends on the person. That's your answer. Yes, yes exactly. Okay.
That's really interesting. Do we have anything like that at Mountside besides like our one-on-one consultation with you? Yeah, so um, your school counselors are amazing. Um, They have some girls groups. They have some uh, men's groups. Um, Erica Healy, your social worker, and the nurse do some substance use groups. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm probably forgetting a ton. (laughs) Um, But those are the ones that come straight to my head. So there's like a fair amount of groups going on. Um, Like I said, I'll go into classes and teach some things. Miss Healy will go into classes and teach about drugs. Um, also there's, you know, extracurricular activities that some kids have signed on to. I technically work for Friends of Youth and Friends of Youth has a lot of groups over the summer. I'm leading a high school wellness group um, for kids, also a middle school wellness group for kids. We're also doing an LGBTQIA therapeutic processing group. Um, there's always a Friends of Youth, there's always substance use groups. Um, so a lot of agencies also do these kind of outside of school if school is in the best place. But Mountside is actually very lucky to have some great professionals that are doing some of this work. Yeah, I feel very grateful to be able to go to Mountside because we have a lot of great resources and I'm extremely grateful for them. Yeah. Um, so my podcast um, yes. that we're doing right now, <laughs> I created it for many reasons, but one of the main reasons was because I wanted to reduce the social stigma associated with mental health because we don't talk about enough like from student to student, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is just a general question that you can take it in any direction, but (laughs) why do you think, uh, why do you think it's so important to spread awareness about mental health? Very general question, you can take it anywhere. Like three things off the bat, like jump into my head and it's not going to be an all-inclusive list. But I think, like you said in the beginning, education, just learning about things going on in the world, but learning about ourselves. Um, If a client of mine is listening, they know how much I talk about curiosity, right? Like how do we turn judgment into curiosity? Curiosity is a skill that if I can instill that in anybody, that is my dream come true right? As long as we can flip to just being curious of why am I doing this or what is anger trying to teach me or what's going on with me, that would be great. Also, am I abnormal from the world? No, right? We're just not talking about it. So education and curiosity is kind of first in my mind. Second is I think it's just important to talk about because more of us are alike than different. And so with mental health is part of the issue is you think you're like, quote unquote crazy, or you feel like you're abnormal, or you feel like you're the only one going through this. And there's so many times that I wish it would be against the law and against my license and not <laughs> compliant, but I wish I could just stick a ton of kids in one room and be like, y'all are dealing with the same stuff and you should just talk about it. But it's again, those facades is we think we have to present a certain way to the world versus like, like behind the mask, all the things that actually make humanity so um, similar, right? And so I think there is that aspect of um, it's important to kind of normalize all of this, right? Normalize what we're going through because more more likely than not, y'all are going through the same stuff, just not talking about it. Yeah. Um, And then the last thing I would talk about is, so there's a great um, therapist um, and professor, Brene Brown, I'm sure you've heard of her, but she talks a lot about shame Um, and vulnerability and I think that there's so much is is in that like we feel crazy or we feel 
um, abnormal is that brings in shame. Like we're wrong. Something's wrong with us. And so again, that aspect of it's so important to realize nothing is wrong with you. Absolutely nothing is wrong with you. You are going through an experience and you're trying to be this little firefighter and put out all these little fires in your life. And our hope is that we put water on it. We live in wildfire country. We don't want to keep those fires going to get bigger and bigger. So our hope is we put water on it with just healthy coping skills. But a lot of times we put oil and it damps down for a second and then explodes. And those oils are like substance use and self-harm and suicidal ideation and disordered eating and risky behaviors and all of those things. But we just are trying to feel better and we don't know how. And part of that is that silence and part of that is that shame. And we think that something is wrong with us and you're not, nothing is wrong with you. You're just trying to get through this crazy thing called life. Wow. That was amazing. You have great metaphors. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. That was, that was really interesting to hear. I really liked your firefighter metaphor because I can, I can totally relate to that and I understand it. Very digestible way to talk about it. Um, Okay. So to finish off this, you know, episode, I wanted to ask you some rapid fire questions. It's a reoccurring segment on my podcast. Okay. They're not that bad. Don't worry. Question number (laughs) one, what made you want to become a mental health therapist? Um, that (laughs) is an interesting question because my undergraduate is in accounting and marketing. Um, I really thought I was going to go business route and then life hit me and I was like, what am I doing? I was applying to jobs for accounting and everyone's like, we really like you, but nothing on your resume says you're an accountant other than your master or your major. Um, And then I did some soul searching and realized that I really wanted to do something in service and with people. And so I turned down my job in the accounting world and did a volunteer program and realized that I just, there's so many obstacles to getting to school. There's so many obstacles to just being alive. And I kind of wanted to work in that world. And so I did a complete 180 and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And so thankful that I made that choice. That's great. And now look at where you are. You're on a podcast about (laughs) mental health. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. Well, this isn't actually a question, but, you know, describe your quarantine in three words. (laughs) Um. online mm. walking and cooking nice <laughs> yeah that i think a lot of people can relate to that especially the online part yeah okay all right question number 3 what is the first place you're going to go to after all social distancing uh, restrictions are lifted like the number one place you want to go to um, a table full of the people I love. Oh, <laughs> doesn't matter where. I just want to be. I love tables. I think so many things happen. You know, like family meals and and communion and all of that happen at tables. So I don't care where it is. Just all of my friends and people I love at one table. I was gonna say like the Cheesecake Factory, but yeah. you know, yours is great too. <laughs> <Thanks>. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, question number four. What was the last show you binged or movie you watched? Uh, <laughs> um, I just watched Love, Simon. Oh, that's a good one. I yes. watched that in theaters. 
Yeah, that's a great one. No, I just lied to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Love, Victor. So it's oh, like the TV show. show version of that right. movie. I've heard yeah. of that too. Is it good? I haven't started it yet. I mean, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> watch. I mean, I'm at a point in this quarantine life that, you know, everything is kind of relative, right? I'll watch things to just keep it interesting, right? I'll just watch anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish I could tell you, like, I watch The Wire or I yeah. watch, you know, all of my favorite TV shows. But let's be honest, like, I'm yeah. at the end of my queue. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm running out of shows. That's why I'm asking you. Yes. So I can get some recommendations. Speaking yeah. of recommendations, our last question, do you have any good reading or good book recommendations? It can be, like, about, you know, mental health or therapy, or it can just be, like, your favorite book. Oh, yeah. Um, so a recent book I finished that I think everyone kind of should read at some point in their life. I don't know when, because um, it's very subjective, maybe like young adulthood. Um, but there's a book called Attached. Um, and it's about adult attachment. So Bowlby came out with attachment theory with kids um, and parents and how we attach. Do we attach securely, insecurely? Um, kind of how do we attach to our primary caregivers. But this book goes into the idea that attachment is developed throughout our lifetime and how we partner is based on our attachment. And so if we're anxiously attached, we may um, partner with someone who is avoidant and that creates hurt. And we think something's wrong with us, but nothing's wrong with us again. And that aspect of we're just not attaching in healthy ways. Um, so it's a great book around kind of partnering and dating and relationships and creating good, healthy um, relationships. And it's just, it's a beautiful book. Um, always, I will say, if anything in the mental health world, take it with a grain of salt. Obviously someone's trying to paint a picture, but it's a good book to remember that attachment forms in childhood, but it manifests differently throughout your experiences with relationships. That sounds really interesting. It's called Attached, right? Yes, attached. I forget like the sub um, title on it, but it's like adult attachment, how to keep and find love. Um, but it talks all about attachment theory in adulthood. I will add that to my reading list. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot and this was very like eye opening to different points of view. And hopefully I know like all of my listeners are going to be really pumped for this. So thank you again for coming on. It really means a lot to me. Thank you for putting this all together. You're a rock star. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Have Bye-bye. a good one. You too. Okay, that was very interesting. Like I said 20 billion times. Oh my goodness. I think I said, yeah, you know, interesting, right? Like so many different times because I was just trying to absorb everything Miss Westerman was saying because I had never looked at things the way she did and the way she talked about our topics and her amazing metaphors. Like, uh, my brain was just trying to process everything that she was saying because it was so eye-opening and informational. But I just wanted to, again, thank Ms. Westerman for coming on. I learned so much from her and hopefully everyone listening did as well. But before we end, I just want to say really quickly, um, if you guys have the time or chance, really, please reach out to at least one person, um, whether it's by texting or calling or FaceTiming or whatever it may be, and just let them know that you're there for them or that you're thinking about them, or it can just be simple as like a hi and just, you know, reach out to them and start talking with them because 
you know, everyone is dealing with quarantine right now. Um, literally the entire world, we're all in quarantine. And I know it's sort of getting better. We're sort of near the end of quarantine, but not really. And who knows if we might have to do this for longer. But like we said earlier, um, having or knowing that someone is there for you and cares about you enough to actually reach out, um, it goes a long way. So reach out to at least one person, say hi, ask them how they're doing, just talk for a bit. And yeah, um, this episode was really, really fun for me and I'm, I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed it. But that's it for today's episode and I will see you guys next week. Bye.